presence and your name is power. And whatever else we might lack in life, we have the resource that never runs dry, the cup that never runs out, the source of everything. We have you, Lord. So we praise you that you have set your sights on us, that you have given us the right to become your children through the matchless blood of Jesus. We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory, and we praise the one who is our sustainer, our faithful guide, and our Father. We give you all the praise because it's due to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Welcome, Northeast Christian Church, Lowell Assembly. If you don't know me, you're joining us online. My name is Pastor Dylan, and I'm glad you're with us today. If this is your first time with us, I encourage you to grab one of those Get Connected cards in front of you or to hit the Get Connected button online and to do something called Take Three. I want you to take three weeks with us because it really takes that long for us to get to know you, for you to get to know us, and for you to kind of become a part of this family and integrate a little bit more here. If you bring that Get Connected card to the welcome desk after service, I'd be glad to talk to you and give you a mug to say thanks for being with us today. And if you come back next week, we'll give you a little Dunkin' Donuts gift card to fill that mug. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us and turn your attention to this morning's announcements. Hello, Northeast Christian Church. This is Pastor Dylan with your morning announcements. We are going to be having a two-in-one Married for Life and Couples Sailing event in August. That is with Tony and Susan Palo, who will be taking us through how to grow in our relationship with our partners. After the seminar, we'll gather together in historic Boston Harbor for a sailing tour along the coast. We are also still looking for people to help with setup and teardown after our Serve Our City events. If you're interested in serving in that way, you can email us at office at lowellag.org. Youth Connect is today the 18th in second service in the overflow room. We encourage you to join us there. If you want any more info on any of these announcements, you can contact us by emailing office at lowellag.org. Enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning, everyone. Long time no see. Usually I'm up there. Uh, it's great to see you. We're going to move forward with our next uh, part of worship, and that's really about our tithe and our giving. And I just want to make sure that you understand that the it's, you're not just giving to a church, you're giving to the hands and feet of the work that God's called our team and our community to do. We are having incredible impact, serve our city, our ability to communicate with so many people, whether it be online or in person. Um, you know, your commitment to giving uh, empowers that. So we're so thankful for you. Our verse today uh, is found in uh, Exodus 35:22, And so they came, both men and women, all who were willing, all who were willing of willing heart, bought brooches and earnings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of golden objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. We don't have to be here. We get to be here. God, I thank you, Lord. God, I pray for this offering. I pray that whatever is given, small, large, it doesn't matter. It's the heart of the person that matters. And I just pray that people will give with the heart of the church, that we would be the hands and feet, Lord God, whether it be in person or fiscally, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this message, this time, Lord God, I just pray for our community, Lord, that we would become and continue to grow into that community, the church that you've called us to be. We just thank you for this in your name. Amen. Just a quick reminder, you can text uh, 77977 uh, or you can Lola G to 77977. Uh, you can give uh, in the boxes or you can give online at the website. We just thank you for this. Thanks for being with us.
Don't you feel like you've been to Anglican Church or Catholic Church this morning? It's the high church sound there. Uh, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and we've kind of gone through this whole exit us and the idea that we want to get out of problems, and God wants to bring us through them because we're developed from them. God uses, God never wastes a crisis. God never wastes a difficult situation. And so in our journey through here, we've come to the section of the tabernacle, and this is God saying, I want to make my house with you. I want to make my dwelling with you. I want to live among you. And even for us today as New Testament believers, God wants to dwell in your home. God wants to dwell in your heart. God wants to be an active, present part of your daily life, to be involved with your joys, to be present in your sorrows, to be, pr to be there to help you achieve victory, and all it requires is for us to participate by faith. And so that overview of the tabernacle, God said, I'm going to show you a model from heaven, Moses. And he sees this model in heaven. And he says, and I want you to make it like this. And he, and he begins to give him these instructions. And all of these things come out from it. So, so God shows us how to worship. And they also really are like metaphors for us. The Bible says in the New Testament that we offer spiritual sacrifices. None of this is irrelevant—none of this—we can't—we cannot say that the Old Testament is irrelevant for our life. Otherwise, murder's okay, adultery's okay, the Ten Commandments are ten suggestions, but what do you do with some of this stuff? Well, the, the, the principles are there and why they exist to be part of our life, and I'm so glad today we're focusing on the altar of incense because this is the part that, in my opinion, is the center to whether or not things happen in your life by faith, and that is through prayer. That's what this altar of incense represented. And horn is, a horn is a, a symbol of strength, and it's, it's put all around here, and the priests would anoint it with blood, and, and they would burn a special fragrant incense on the altar, and it would sit right in front of the curtain, and on the other side of that curtain was the very throne of God himself, the Holy of Holies. And so, rather than uh, keeping with this Gregorian chant theme, what I want to do real quick is just show you uh, another video clip here that is going to read through the verses that we're looking at today here, Exodus 31 through 10, and then later we'll look at 34 through 38. But I want you to take a look at this, and we are going to go from information to application today, and we are going to believe that God is going to answer some prayers here in our midst, and hopefully God rekindles that fire and that relevance, not just of prayer in your life, but, but faith, faith in your life that God hears your cries and that God wants to answer your prayers according to his glory and, and how he'd glorify himself. So take a look here. We're going to look at 31 through 10, and it's going to show you as it describes the altar of incense. Let's take a look at that and roll that video clip. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of acacia wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of one piece with it, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof 
and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make for it under the crown thereof, upon the two ribs thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make them, and they shall be for places for staves wherewith to bear it. And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the ark cover that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee, and Aaron shall burn thereon incense of sweet spices every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at dusk, he shall burn it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt offering, nor meal offering, and ye shall pour no drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make atonement upon the horns of it once in the year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, once in the year shall he make atonement for it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Exodus chapter 30 verses 1 through 10. That was kind of a little bit uh, a throwback to the King James. Let's hear it for the King James version. KJV. What's the original inspired version? The Hebrew and the, the Greek, of course, but since we don't, King James is about as close as it gets, baby. So uh, I, unfortunately, am reading out of the ESV, and I want you to turn with me, and those of you online, if you want, there's a tab, I believe, that you could look up the Bible right there. And uh, for us here, if you don't have a Bible with you or it's not on your phone, you can listen. I'm a big fan of a physical Bible because I believe that we should be uh, kind of flipping through it. It helps us kind of know where stuff is. But in Exodus 30, same chapter, a little bit further, we're going to get that set at 30. And starting at verse 34, chapter Exodus 30, verse 34, we're going to describe or read what the description of the incense is that's put on this. So here we go. Verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacte, and anica, and galbanum, sweet spices of pure frankincense. Each shall be there in an equal part, so the same amount of each measure. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat out some very small parts of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you, and it will be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to, to its uh, composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you, holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any of it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So when you think about perfume and you think about incense, you, kind of one of them's burning in smoke and one of them's spray, but it was very common to, uh, it's really the ancient Near Eastern air freshener, right? And so you'd have this 
incense, maybe burning in your tent, burning in your home. And this particular kind, God says, I don't want you to ever use this for yourself. This is used in the altar of incense, the altar of prayer. It is holy. Anyone who even tries to use this in their home for personal use will be cut off. Don't, don't light it with strange fire. And they give all these kind of descriptions to it. When I think of perfumes or I think of colognes, everybody's kind of got a, a favorite one. One of mine is Aqua de Gio. It's pretty good stuff. I'll spray it on me again. Already did this morning. You know, you get that rub. If you're worried, you know, if everything was all right this morning, you didn't have time for, you know, you just, and all of a sudden you walk around and everybody's like, what's that smell, you know? And, and, and it just smells really, really nice. It would be what we would call a sweet aroma, a fragrant offering. But God says, when it comes to me, I want you to do that same thing. I want to smell something that's beautiful, but I want it to be reserved for me and me alone. When uh, one of our mentors who has since passed away, we saw him and uh, one of his daughters who we had in youth group had a, a particular perfume on and I go, Mariah, that smells, that smells so beautiful. Well, um, what is that? And they told me the name of it and, and we went back and he had just ordered like six ounces of it and sent it to my wife and said, I always appreciate somebody that likes, a, I always appreciate a gift that someone appreciates. Diane, I love you. Uh, you've been like a daughter to me, and uh, I thought this smelled beautiful on my daughter, and how much, who better to give some to than to you, and especially since your husband liked the smell of it, here you go. And, you know, so we, so we got this, and that, that was for me. She, he gave that to her because he gave it to his daughter, but then he gave it as a gift for me because I like the smell of it, and there, there are some that smell and are more expensive than others, but this, this was special. This was unique, and where it took place was inside the Holy of Holies. The only people that went in there in that time were the priests. It's, it was right in a veil that separated the, the, the Ark of the Covenant by a curtain, and so it would sit in this other section called the, most, the Holy Place, and in here would be the menorah, the showbread, and this. And the priests on a regular basis would come here. Maybe you're familiar with the story of John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. And he comes into the temple. He's burning incense. An angel shows up, says he's going to have a son. And he doubts it. He doesn't, he doesn't receive that truth with faith. And he says, you'll be mute until the day that the child is born. And then when the time comes to name John, it's like all of a sudden his tongue is loosed. And he says, call him John. Call him John. Because the angel said, call him John. So lots of things happened at this place of incense. Whenever there was a, a plague that was ramping out through the camp and there, the people were being judged by God... God always told Aaron, go to, the go to the tabernacle, grab a coal and put incense in it and bring it out among the people. So there was this connection of like almost intercession, a symbol of prayer, a, a way to change the circumstances that were going wrong or going bad, a way that you could be pleasing to God, that God could actually catch the scent of your cologne or your perfume and say, oh my goodness, that smells so nice on you. This smells beautiful on my people. It was one of those things that just in the midst where God had to deal with his children and then all of a sudden that fragrance rose again, he stopped and said, okay, 
Let me, let me put a limit on this. If you look at the altar, it's, it's about, they said, make it a cubit wide in all directions. So it would be the length of your, pink, your, your finger to your elbow. Same thing, it's kind of, this was actually built true to measure. And then two cubits tall, which this is kind of like all this kind of decorative stuff is just speculative. But the four horns, the horn being the symbol of power and honor, like a ram and uh, like a, a, a bull, it was strength, it was, and it was used to anoint kings. And once a year, the priest would anoint it with blood. This was part of the, the, the process that it would be atoned for, that it would always be separated and holy unto God. And here is where the incense was constantly lit during daily prayers that was set forth a couple of times a day. And it stood before the presence of God. It's a proximity message right there. You want to get close to God, there's no closer way to draw near to him than through prayer. It's like standing before the very throne of God. It's standing, prayer is in proximity to where this altar was placed. It shows us that the very closest place to get to God is through prayer. You want more of the presence of Jesus in your life? More prayer is the answer to that. I mean, you, you were confronted with the altar and confronted with your sin when you walked in, and you were confronted with your reflection at the laver, which was the, made of bronze, the same thing they made mirrors out of, and then you were reminded when you walked into the tabernacle that, that God is your provider of daily bread and not to forget that lesson in the wilderness of the manna and God providing bread for his people, that even though you work and even though you have skill and intellect and, and abilities, that it's God that gives you those things to do. Deuteronomy 8 is a great reminder of that. But then in there that we were also to be a light to the world and we were also to bear the fire of God, to have the power of the presence of his spirit at work in our lives, that we are to be menorahs. But then when you came to passing all of these things and you were about to enter into the presence of God, it makes it very clear that the gateway to God is through prayer. It always has been. It always has been. It always will be. Prayers offered in faith to God, calling upon him, asking him for help. There's a video clip I want to show you before I dive into this a little bit more. There are a few people I would call great mentors in my life. Some of them have been local. Some of them have been from a distance. But even as I prepared this message, as I was done, I said, oh my goodness, this particular mentor figure really speaks good on this. And as soon as I put it in there, I realized half of the verses I had in my message actually came because of the many times that I heard this, this man speak into my life. And I, there is nobody greater on the concepts and the truths of faith and prayer that I know of than the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, Jim Simbola. So whether you're online and you're watching this or you're here, I want you to turn your attention to the screen. You might need to give this a volume bump. I'm going to press the slide on here, and you guys might have to hit go on it. I don't know how it works under Pro Presenter, but I'm going to hit it and just give this thing a good boost of sound. And then we're going to go wild with scripture, with truth, and with application.
Prayer is the most essential thing found in the Bible along with faith in God. In fact, some have maintained that it's true, without faith it's impossible to please God, but the only way to know where there's real faith is to see where there's prayer, because if someone really believes in God, they instinctively begin to call on the name of the Lord. And that's how religion began. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, we find out this little obscure verse that not many people notice, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And that's the beginning of corporate religion as we know it. Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden and sinned, and um, then the descendants of Cain had begun to move away from God. But the descendants of Seth, it is written, began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to sense somehow that this God was not just a creator God, but he was a God who would intervene in life and in the problems that you were facing if you just called on him. And I wish I would have been there at that moment when their first instinct was to look up to God and begin to call out to him and say, God, help us with our harvest. We need rain. Or my baby is sick. Lord, intervene. This God who created the universe, I believe that you can come and now help get back into order that which has become sick and wounded or hurt in some way. And the Bible tells us that that was really the first name of God's people, people who called on the name of the Lord. There was no Bible yet, no churches. Abraham hadn't been born. There was no Jewish people. The law hadn't been given. There was no tabernacle or temple. But people, the first instinct they had was to call upon God, not only in prayer and petition, but then in worship and in praise. Later on in Deuteronomy, Moses boasts uh, to the people of Israel. Who is a people like us that is so blessed that has a God who will draw near to us when we call upon him. Later on, David says in one of the Psalms, God has preserved the, the godly for himself. He will hear when I call to him. This instinct is in both Old and New Testament. When we call, God has promised to answer. And this is at the very foundation of religion, that God is a prayer answering God. And we don't have to give up and just give in to fear or give in to hopelessness, but we can bring our hopeless situations to God. And God says, this is how I will glorify my name. When you call, I will answer, and then people will see how great I am and how faithful I am to my people. In just a few hours, this building is going to be filled with people. And among other things, we're going to be praying for God to pour out his Holy Spirit on our lives. And isn't that the great need in your town and community and city? Isn't that the great need in your local church? That the Holy Spirit would come and revive God's work, where sermons would have more impact, where there would be greater love among God's people, more compassion for the world around us that needs Jesus Christ. None of that can happen without the Holy Spirit being manifested in a new and more powerful way. Why don't you take time right now in your small group and begin to pray for a revival, a spiritual renewal, a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the life of your group, the life of your church, the life of your city. Remember, nothing is impossible with God, and God's ear is open every time we pray. Makes sense. Isn't that a powerful 
powerful truth. In fact, the verse that he appeals to here is in Genesis chapter 4, 25 to 26. But the circumstances surrounding prayer at that moment, surrounding the concept of what issued and what the channel of prayer was for, for the Jewish people, the symbol to God, the incense going up, they didn't just burn incense, they, they, they also brought prayers before God. And not everybody was necessarily in the holy place with the priest because at that time there was a veil. Christ still needed to come and to, to, to die for our sins. Only one person, one time a year, went behind the veil, the Holy of Holies, the high priest. But it says this in the book of Hebrews, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that you and I are not limited with access to God. We don't have to go through man, that we can go to God directly and call out to him and cry out to him and to bring our requests before the throne of grace and that God will hear those. That no, no person carries the answer for your prayer. It's a comfort to know that we have people that can pray, and we have groups of, we have prayer teams, and when you email in requests for prayer, those of you watching online, those of you here, when you, when you fill out a prayer request, or you email, or you click prayer requests on that online thing, and you send that, that's going to a group of people that are praying for that, the pastors are praying for that, the prayer teams are praying for that, and it helps to know that Jesus said when two or three or more are gathered in his name there he is in the midst in other words you want the presence of God you just get a couple of people around you and you say hey we are going to focus our our conversation not to each other but to God you know we're going to say God please help us with this situation God please intervene in this situation and God's presence fills that place that's a great way to have church when I say have church, that's a churchy way of basically saying you want to sense the presence of God. You want to feel the love of God. You have a need for hope in your life or you have a need for, for God's help in your life or you need maybe God to just give you more strength to hang on. You get a couple of people around you who know and believe Jesus Christ as Lord and you begin to stop talking your problems sideways at them and begin to get those people to begin to talk vertically up to God. God begins to hear and he says, I'll come down and I'll get involved in that situation and you'll be able to look at it and say I was I was there God helped me in my helpless situation and in Genesis 4 25 and 26 you have to understand when people began to call on the name of the Lord what had just happened God created paradise paradise and man blew it let me tell you what some people in their thinking, maybe you're watching online or you're here, some of us in our, think, our thinking have a number of a dollar amount that says that if I have that dollar amount, I will have paradise. My problems will go away. And yet, all of the people that I know that have, been, that have had little resource or lots of resource, I've come to find that there are people that have everything and yet have nothing, and people who have nothing and they have everything. And then I've come to find that some of the most greediest people that I know could have nothing or they could have everything. It's all a disposition of the heart. It's all a question of God's ownership over your life. It's all of a question of Deuteronomy 8, what, that you understand that God has given you the ability to do what you do. And it's all, it's all 
answered in Matthew chapter 6 where he gives us the Lord's Prayer and he says, you, you rely on me for daily bread. It doesn't matter whether you're in a business and you have hundreds of people working for you and you have to believe God for millions of dollars of sales or you are just simply a family that's barely making it and you're just barely surviving with the inflation despite all of the stimulus checks, both of those reasons, we have to remember the lesson of the table of showbread, that it's God that brings our daily bread to us, but it's the, the altar of incense that we bring our requests before God. And we say, oh God, I see the bread on the table. Lord, I know that you provided for Israel. Now I need for you to provide for me. I call on your name. I cry out to you. But no sooner did God create paradise and man destroyed it than the very brother that should have been praying with his brother slays his brother and pounds him and bashes his head in and Cain kills Abel over acceptance before God. It wasn't money that, that killed the first man in this world. It wasn't greed. It wasn't trying to take somebody's wife. It was actually over one person having favor with God and one person not having favor with God. That was the cause of the first murder in history. That was the motive that Abel was accepted by God and Cain wasn't. And God said to Cain, if you'll do what's right and you'll do what's acceptable. This is why we talk about offerings and all these things, that we realize that what we have is not ours. It, it's God's. God has given us that ability. But Cain looked at his brother with anger, and it's it, literally in the Hebrew it says that, that Abel brought the very best of his flock, the first fruit, the firstborn, the, the very first one, and that, that Abel brought some veggies. And it wasn't that he gave a blood offering and he gave food. It's that he gave the very best and he gave leftovers and scraps. Stuff that was probably rotting. And God said, hey, Cain, if you want to be right with me, have a right relationship with me. Do you adore me? Do you value me? Do you love me? And, and somewhere along the line, we see that Cain stops talking to God. But God keeps talking to Cain, trying to coach him, saying, hey, listen, turn, get right. But instead he kills him. And after he kills him, the Bible says this, Genesis 4, 25 and 26, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Abel, who Cain killed him. And so Seth was born. And he called, and then to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Before there was, before there was the law, before there was anything, they were people, people who went to church, they weren't called Christians, they weren't called Jews, they were called the people who called on God. Literally, you would look at them and you would distinguish them not because they went to church, not because they gave an offering, not because they watched online, not because they owned a Bible, not because, it, and, and these things weren't even available to them. What distinguished them from everybody else on the face of the earth was that they called on God. And that word kara, to call, literally means to cry out to God, to say, oh God, if you don't do this, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. 
And many of you here, and many of you watching, many of you listening, maybe days after this is recorded, have situations in your life, whether you have a lot of resource or a little resource, whether you have a big family or a small family, whether you have lots of friends or no friends, have situations that need answers that you, if you could have made them happen, if you could have provided them, the, the problem would be solved. But God has created the prayer table for you and I in such a way that we would be dependent upon him and that when we learn to take our problems to Jesus and we take our complaints away from others and we turn them into prayers to God and we begin to say, God, I can't change it. I can't help it. I can't make it. That God here he listens and he answers and he delivers and he provides and he does all of those things and then in return we look back up to him and we say thank you God thank you for that table of showbread thank you for providing for me thank you God I'll be a menorah I'll be a light to the world now I'm going to begin to tell people this is what happens when you have a desperate situation and you turn your complaints that were going out into prayers going up and you grab a few people if you can and if not you do it yourself and you begin to say oh God and I said Lord I don't know how we're going to make it the, the diagnosis from the doctor says stage 4 cancer the, the, the collection agency is saying foreclosure the job and the boss are saying you're done I didn't know how God was gonna do it but he did it he changed it he turned it around and that's when we become a menorah and we begin to glorify God and say this is what happens when you call on him this is what prayer is about and the disciples watched Jesus from a distance and they said Lord we notice that you have this thing going on all the time, you know, in the way that you pray, and it's unique and it's different. Now, prayer wasn't different. It, 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 prayer wasn't absent in the time of Jesus. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is what's called the Amidah. There was a, there's a prayer in Judaism that's very similar to it, but every rabbi taught their own version of a prayer to their people when life was busy and they didn't have enough time to spend in the presence of God. Maybe they had a child. Maybe they had an early morning rising job or they were a second and third shift worker and they had to fix a broken thing and, and they didn't have a lot of time. There was a prayer that was given called the Amidah, which literally means the standing prayer. And that is what the Lord's Prayer is. And Jesus says it like this. Pray this. Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed, be your name. That literally, if you understand it from a Hebrew concept, that's not saying, oh Lord, you're holy. Now there are tons of places in the Bible where it says it like that, but it's literally saying, my Father in heaven, let me live my life in such a way that brings honor to your name, that lets my life shine to show your goodness through my life. Lord, use me today. That's literally what that means. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's exactly what the table of showbread and what we talked about last week. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That actually is a bad translation in English in most versions. In the Greek, it says deliver us from the evil one. In other words, oh God, I know I'm going to have problems, but I ask, please protect me that Satan doesn't get me in his grip. Maybe right now your life 
is in the grip of a marriage gone bad, of a situation where a vice has gotten hold of your life and you don't know how to get out of it. That's what the Lord's Prayer is about. Lord, deliver me from the grip of the evil one. In other words, Father, hell has a hold on me. Addiction has a hold on me. A, a vice has a hold on me. God, please, I know I've walked right into the devil's hand, but would you deliver me from the grip of the evil one? That's literally what that prayer means. And then he goes on and he said, and then he says, lead us not in temptation, deliver us from the evil one. And if you forgive others their trespasses against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your Father will not forgive you your trespasses. Two things will keep you from your prayers being answered. Maybe you're kind of praying and you're like, I, I just don't feel like God's listening. God always listens and he's always attentive to our prayer, but the prayers, but there are two hindrances in the Bible that are mentioned to where your prayers will be missed, unheard, ignored. One of them is unforgiveness. Now you can forgive somebody and still have wisdom not to trust them. We're not talking about that. We don't forgive somebody and give them full access to our life, especially when they have been uh, maniacal and have hurt us or their character is repeatedly wrong, but to be able to release those people and just say, I'm not gonna bear any malice, I'm gonna move on with my life, whatever they do with theirs, that's fine. That'll hinder your prayers. Second thing is this, and the Bible talks about it, that where spouse, two spouses are together and they're fighting all the time, and then you try turning to God. How many of you who are married have ever had that, where you had a big blowout with your spouse, and then you needed a big need met, and it's like you can't even concentrate on it because all you can think about is, is the fight you just had. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This church, we never fight with our spouses, right? None of you online, you never fight with your spouse, you know? Uh, if, you're not alive, if you're not fighting, you're not alive. And, and if you never disagree, you never come to an accord. And so that's just life, right? And there's nothing like a good fight and, in a marriage to, and to be able to make up really great. It's just, it's wonderful. But, but you can actually be in a place, maybe you're saying, I am praying, Pastor Paul. I am reaching out to God. Think maybe, maybe part of the problem is the way that you're dealing with your spouse that you've made a covenant with. And you, maybe there's something in you that needs to change, or maybe there's something in them that you need to let go of in order to say, I can't change that person. You can never change people. You can only change yourself. So maybe that's something, or maybe it's unforgiveness, but, but you, th those two things, if you give attention to them and make them part of your prayer, to say, God, I, I, I keep fighting with my wife. My wife and I, found something out in ministry very early on. If you're a former student, maybe you're uh, somebody who, that's at the Bible college, or maybe you're, you're uh, a friend in ministry and you're watching, isn't it always typical that when you're going to church, that's when all the fights break out? Or when you stay up too late at night, that's when the real bad fights happen. So my wife and I made a covenant together. Three things. One, no fights, going to church. We drop them, we hold our grudges, we hold our differences, we deal with them later. Number two, no intense conversations past 10 o'clock at night. We actually say nine o'clock in our, we started at 10 and we realized nine was a better time for us to do that because that's when you just get loopy and you just start fighting more. And then the third one I've put on my wife that says that no critiquing the Sunday message on Sunday. You can talk to me on Monday, but not Sunday, because it's too late, and I can't change it, and I, I just, I did my best, so. But listen to this. 
Revelation 8, 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He's talking about this altar. He's talking about um, whether it was like this or it was like the ones that, we, uh, that I grew up with and seen in the Catholic Church where they put the incense on the end of a pole. Not quite, <laughs> not quite fully sure, but what is he doing? It says that he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints in the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. When you and I commit prayers to God, when you and I begin to call on the name of the Lord, I not only believe that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the one, listen, I would love Jesus to attend Sunday service one day, but he's not showing up. He's at the right hand of the Father. I would love for the Father to show up, but there's something about him that's a little bit too intense, and maybe I just need to be in heaven before I can handle that. But one thing I do know is that the Holy Spirit shows up in our presence. God said, I will not leave you as orphans, but when you call on me, I will send the Holy Spirit, and I will give him to you without measure. And the Bible says in this verse that when the people were praying, I believe the Holy Spirit is present and that the angel himself is taking those prayers to the very hands of Jesus. And the Bible says in Hebrews, um, I in Hebrews, I I'm not even going to say I believe the chapter. I'm going to say chapter 8. But in Hebrews, that Jesus is ever interceding for you and I before the Father. You may be here right now. You may be watching. You may be in your golden years, and most of your friends are gone. You may be in a new location, in a new place, and you have no friends where you are. You may say, I don't think anybody even knows I exist let alone that they would even pray for me, whether there is nobody you know or nobody's left. The Bible says that Jesus is ever interceding for you before God. You have your first prayer warrior in your life, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to the very one who can answer those prayers. God! Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, Call on me and I'll show you great I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. There are some situations and some problems that I face and some victories that I want to achieve, and I just don't know how to get there. And I begin to call on God, and I say, Oh, God, I cry to you. I cry out to you. God, I need an answer. I need wisdom. I need help. And if I don't have it in me, and you don't intend to put it in me, then put somebody next to me who has that. I, it, the one, one quality I thank God for that was drilled into me early on was that I am a better leader if I am a better listener. And so I surround my life with great people who have great wisdom. At the end, I need to make decisions and bear the responsibilities of them. But great leaders and great people are great listeners. And then if the answer isn't coming from heaven, and if it's not rising up in you, it means that there is wisdom in the counsel of many and that your prayers need to begin to turn into petitions to say, hey, I need help. I can't figure this out. If ever there was a time in our country that we needed to pray for it, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Matthew 17. I'm going to ask Boaz to come up here real quick and we, we're going to wrap this up. This is... This is, this is the hinge to it all. 
I could sit here and talk about prayer verses all day and we'll all go, amen, 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 amen. And you're like, Pastor, I, I, I never heard of prayer like this. I grew, you know, I, I, I grew up in a different kind of denomination and they didn't really kind of pray or they said the Our Father so fast, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, that kind of prayer where the presence of the Holy Spirit shows up. I, I don't know, um, you know, or pastor, I'm, I'm praying and I'm not sensing the Holy Spirit. I'm not seeing answers coming. I don't have unforgiveness in my life. I'm not married or the person that's in my, in my life that I'm married to, things are fine. I just, I just don't get it. You, you see, of all of the ingredients that we have in prayer, there, there's, there's a, there's a group of things that are all put together that made the incense what it is. And on the front cover of this, whether you're online, it's posted in there, whether you came in or on your way out, you can grab it. But this is some great research that you really can't get too many places. First ingredient was myrrh. Myrrh's interesting because in talking about the ingredients of the incense, which I think is the ingredients of prayer, this comes from a tree. And what they do with myrrh is that they, they dent it, they bash it, they impact it. And all through the night, out come these teardrops. They call them the tears of myrrh. And drops of these crystal sap pieces form and they pick them off. The way that, that that is drawn out of that tree is a very forceful, impactful, violent process. But the tree heals. Then you go on to the other ingredients that are in there. And by the way, there's lots of different views of what's what and all that. This is, this is pretty accurate. The next one that was there was Annika, and it had a different name in Hebrew. A lot of people start to talk about it as a plant, but if you look at some of the stuff that I put there, um, it'll show you what it really is. It, it, was, it was a shellfish that came out of the regions of the Dead Sea, and so what people had to do is they had to dive down, and there's no diving equipment. So they're taking a deep breath, they're going, they're risking their life, they're going way, way down in the ocean to get this so this is a very, very rare ingredient. And they add that to it. Then they go on to another plant, the gabanum plant, and they snap it off and they squeeze out the juice from it. They literally break it and squeeze it in there. And then lastly, the frankincense tree. The difference with the myrrh tree and the frankincense tree is, is that you have to cut into it. And so they gash a, that you don't normally do. You have to be willing to endure things that you wouldn't really be willing to endure. I read the verse in Isaiah 58 where it says about Jesus and the cross, and it describes him bruised beyond, marred beyond human recognition. You wouldn't have even recognized Jesus if you knew him before the cross because you couldn't even recognize him as a human being when he was on the cross. And it pleased God to bruise him. Why is it that sometimes God allows situations to, to impact our lives? You know why? Because sometimes that's the only way to get out the ingredients of prayer from our life in, in a way that we're vulnerable, that we're not pontificating and prideful, that we're not involved in our luxuries and ignoring him. And those things sometimes contribute to the deepest prayer moments in our life. 
You may be in a very painful situation right now. I want to tell you something. You're actually in a process that God wants to use for making a beautiful fragrant offering to him. And it's time for you to turn that into prayer. It's time for you to let the fire of God begin to ignite the difficulties of your life and turn them into requests to God and begin to call on him and watch what he does when he answers. But all of these ingredients, all of them, have one last ingredient, and that's faith. Jesus said to them, because you have little faith, they're trying to cast out a demon out of a child. They can't do it. They said, Lord, why couldn't we do that? And he said, because you have such little faith. It's kind of, it's insult. If you want to insult a Christian, just be like, you don't have any faith. Right? The second somebody says that, have you ever met a Christian who wasn't offended by telling them you don't have faith? And Jesus turns around and he tells all of the, the, great, the greatest disciples probably in all history, says you don't have any faith. I don't want to turn, be turned off by that. I want, to, I want to turn into it and listen up. All right, Lord, why? He went on and he said this, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, in fact, this is important enough for me to just take this time to just read this. Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Fame. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the assurance, the conviction of things not seen, for it is by, it is the people of old and their, it was their condition. By faith, we understand that the universe was created. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, who we talked about earlier. The problem with Cain and Abel was is that Abel realized, and his faith was that everything about God was worthy to receive the best from him, and Cain was wondering if God was going to show up and give him favor, and so he treated God as a second-rate leftover. That's an action of faith. How we live our life is a reflection of our faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. By faith, Jacob held on to the promises. By faith, Joseph went into prison. By faith, this. By faith, that. And then it goes into another situation where it says, not everybody received what they were looking for. Some were cut in half. Some were martyred. Right now, there are more martyrs in the world than there have been since the time of Christianity to now. In this past century, more martyrs have died for Christ than all of human pre pre previously in all times. There are more martyrs. We don't see it in our country like we do in other parts of the world, but it's, it's happening. Sometimes a prayer doesn't mean that God's going to pull you out of the situation. It means that he's going to glorify you through that situation. But in order to come to God, you have to have faith. And I wonder if we could just stand to our feet here and just take a moment of prayer in faith. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know what your forgiveness meter is like. I don't know what the relationship with your spouse is like. But I know who, what God is like. I know what Jesus is like.
I know what the Holy Spirit is like, and I know this, is, is that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to a mountain, be moved, and it's moved. How many of you have stuff in your life here this morning? You're saying, I need a miracle. I need God to do something. I need, I need a renewal in my marriage. I need a renewal in my mind. I need to stop being a person of doubt and start being a person of faith. I need to begin to try. Listen, we need to start turning our attitudes up instead of turning them out. Some of you are professional complainers. You have a network. Instead of having a prayer chain, you have a gripe chain. And I'm not judging you for that because I've been in that place in my life. I know what a gripe change looks like. I've told my story to so many people. It's time you stop telling your story to everybody and you start telling your story to God. That's called prayer. And we start to believe that, that, we get, that God, by faith, by faith, by faith, that he will answer. He will, he will answer. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we lift up our hands, we lift up our voices, we lift up our hearts to you. We bring before you these requests. And Lord, we're going to begin not to build a gripe change, but we're going to begin to bring and build a prayer chain. Lord, when we start prayers again on Saturdays in September, Lord God, the second week, may this place be filled. I don't know why a concert can fill a building, but a prayer meeting barely fills a row. But I know this, God, that if we begin to see the power of prayer, Lord, if we begin to call out to you and we begin to cry out to you and we keep record of what you do again and again, you've set up a system that we come before your throne, that we light on fire the bruises and the burns of our heart and our situation, and we call out to you and we honor you and we cry out to you that it is a sweet fragrance and that you say, I call on me and I will answer. God, right now, answer these prayer requests. Answer these hands that are raised. Answer for those that are watching online, God, the things that are needed that we can't do. Lord, we pray that you would intervene and that we would begin to be like a menorah and that we would tell others about what God has done. Lord, turn our lives into this altar of incense and be glorified. And may we not mix our pain, our bleeding, our breaking of incense and forget that whoever comes to you must first believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Lord, help us to diligently seek you. Make your house a house of prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for those watching online. Thank you for those of you that are here. We're going to continue to have the piano playing. Maybe you, uh, you want to take some time before God. Maybe you want to turn to a couple of people near you. That would be a great thing too, even, to turn to a couple of people and say, hey, this is, this is my situation. I need a miracle from God. And you join together with people and pray for them. And when you're ready, you're dismissed. God bless you. Those of you watching at home, Take it yourself upward. Take it with your family together. Let's begin to be the place that calls on the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you.